last week we spent like an entire segment of the podcast saying things like, well, you know, he's in double A now. He's a very advanced level. I'm sure he'll stick it out there for probably the majority of the season. Maybe even if he struggles, he'll go back to high A. There's no way that he's going up to the big leagues. And then Juan Soto proves us wrong. And now we have welcomed you into this week's edition of the show before the show podcast with zero credibility left. Thank you. I was going to say, yeah, who's ready for more content from us? The wrong guys. <laughs> the guys who don't get anything correct. What, what was um, that movie a couple of years ago? It was Ryan Gosling and... Um, Russell Crowe, The Nice Guys. Yeah, The excellent. Nice Guys. That was a good it's one. Very good. I like that movie. Very rewatchable movie. But uh, <laughs> everything goes wrong for them, and like the, things are just bad. Like that's how I envision us now. Yeah. After last week, we're kind of yeah, we're uh, we're bad luck Brian's here on the show. Well, maybe we're good luck, bro. We're certainly good luck for Juan Soto saying, well, there's no way he's going to climb above this. He's already been in low A and high A and double A. He'll probably stick it out there for a while. And we lied to you and we apologize. And with that, we <laughs> welcome you into this week's episode, the 161st of the Show Before the Show podcast from milb.com. My name is Tyler Mon. He is Sam Dykstra. We're talking all things minor league baseball thanks for tuning in wherever you found us and if you can leave us a rating and a review and a subscription it helps us out with getting new nerds like you to tune into the show and um our favorite kinds of nerds obviously and uh which if you've missed out on past episodes of the show you can find them at milb.com slash podcast as well as on itunes podcast and google play and the stitcher app and everywhere else you find podcasts just don't if you're listening for a Juan Soto preview you could probably just skip over last week um so with that hey it's three strikes we're talking about the top three topics in minor league baseball this week and one of them as shocked as you will be is Juan Soto the second ranked prospect in the Washington Nationals organization who jumps to the major leagues already his fourth way fourth stop on the way this season to his long time you would think major league career at this stage started off at low a Hagerstown Class A advanced Potomac, double A Harrisburg. Now he's in the major leagues at 19 years old, homered in his debut. He's already got three games under his belt. He's hitting an even 500 through his first six major league at bats. Um, This certainly, as you could tell if you listened to the show last week, catches us a little bit off guard um i mean he was going great in hagerstown was going great in potomac and started great in harrisburg but to make that jump to go straight from double a to the big leagues this is like there's nobody in the game of baseball it's hotter right now than juan soto yeah no not at all and it's i mean it's very cool to see because it just answers these questions of well what if we just threw this guy in the majors like what would actually happen you know i do those um, you know, those projection pieces, those steamer pieces at the beginning of each year. And I don't normally put anybody in there uh, unless they have reached double A yet or they're a top 100 prospect. And even when they're a top 100 prospect who hasn't reached double A, you know, the projections are always look bad. And I just do that to show you, listen, this is extremely difficult. This is, you know, a guy to get 600 plate appearances in the major leagues to jump straight from high A. It's not going to go well. Um, but Soto is just such a special talent and this is a special situation. You know, the, the Nats have their fair share of injury problems. Adam Eaton's on the shelf again. Howie Kendrick is out for a good long time. Uh, I think he might be out for the year. Uh, their outfield depth, which looked like a good thing at the beginning of the year is now severely depleted and they probably, you know, Mike Rizzo GM, he's called up 19 year olds before people talked about this all weekend all week coming into this um you know he brought up bryce harper at age 19 he brought up justin upton when he was that young uh you know this is a guy who is willing to trust young talent when he really sees it and really likes it um you know this is not a 
one size fits all scenario by any means. You know, I, I'm not saying every 19 year old outside of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. should be called up right away just you because heard they it do. here first. Sam Dykstra says all 19 year olds belong in the major leagues. You're yes. here first. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Let's let's play. Let's try. It. I'm just saying. Let's just try it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> it, it'll be fun. Just for see two what weeks. it can be like. Why yeah. not? Everybody will either have ERAs of nine and above or <laughs> averages of 115 below. But yeah, it'll be fun. Um, no, but like. You know, Soto has done everything he could to make this happen, essentially. If there was going to be a road that Juan Soto was going to start a game for the Washington Nationals on May 21st, he was going to have to rip through Hagerstown, rip through Potomac, you know, make a very, very short stop at Harrisburg and then have some injuries happen along the way. Uh, But his homer in that first start of his, the first pitch, first swing, all that good stuff uh, over the weekend – was really 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 cool um you know i i heard i think that was on monday that that happened um but that was so really awesome and and if you haven't seen the video i know chelsea janes of the washington post tweeted this uh if you haven't seen the video of the dominican complex uh you know where juan soto once played and you know where he came up through um they showed his first game at the Dominican complex. And if you thought the stadium in Washington was going nuts, the complex was going crazy, uh, after he hit that homer, um, you know, it, it, it's not easy to home in a home run in the major leagues. It's not easy to go the opposite way like he did. Um, but you know, this is a special kid and, and he showed it the next day as well. You know, it's not just hitting home runs, although he's doing that at a special rate this year. He also, the next day against the Padres, went one for one, singled in his only official at-bat, and walked in three others. Um, you know, he knows that he doesn't need to swing at everything. Um, they're going to get to try to get him to chase. It doesn't mean he has to absolutely do that. Um, it speaks to his advanced approach up there, how well he sees the ball, even when it's coming out of a major league hand. Um, you know, what's going to happen to him going forward is as more information comes in, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and all that. Um, but he's up there to stay, you know, they want him as their starting left fielder. They looked at their outfield situation, determined he is maybe the third best in or third best outfielder in the entire system. And when you're the Washington nationals and you're, you know, kind of not where you expected to be, be at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, right now they trail the Braves by three games. They trail the Phillies by a game and a half. They tra- trail or they're a half a game up with the New York Mets. Uh, you know, that NL East is more crowded than people were expecting. And the Nats certainly weren't expecting to be in third. So it's kind of all hands on deck, especially in this last year of Bryce Harper free agency. Uh, why not bring up Juan Soto? You know, I'm sure they would have preferred it to be, uh, Victor Robles, but he's also injured right now, and it's going to be a while till he gets back. So, uh, use the talent you have, and, and to see him uh, take to the major leagues and, and show everybody what we've seen in the minors uh, this quickly has been so so exciting. Not just Juan Soto making the climb to the major leagues either. Um, this is like a promotion day around the big leagues, uh, at least in terms of recording a podcast for all of this promotion news. Yesterday was really the big promotion day, but um, not just at the major league level, although guys like Willie Adamas going up to make major league debuts, but Joe Adele promoting the minor league system of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Nick Gordon climbs up to AAA in the twin system. Um, there are a lot of guys being pushed right now, and I think this is sort of one of the first stages of the season – 
where we see it. We're about six weeks in. Guys who have succeeded to begin the year are going to be tested at the next level. And the next wave that we'll get will be right around the midway point, all-star game time and all that, the pause in the middle of the minor league season. Uh, but there are a lot of guys who are making that jump right now. Yeah, and I, I think it kind of speaks to, and we'll get into this more in strike three, but I, I did a tool shed today of, you know, there, there just seem to be certain organizations that are pushing prospects more aggressively uh, to begin the year. Um, but Joe Adele certainly fits right in into that. And, you know, I I would not have expected to see him uh, make the jump to Class A Advanced Inland Empire this quickly. Um, you know, I, I looked back last year. Well, I looked back at last year's class for the 2017 draft class of all the high school picks made in that first round. Adele was one of them. Uh, he's the quickest to move up. He's the quickest to get to class A advanced. Uh, that's not exactly what I would have predicted at the beginning of the year. I thought it might've been Royce Lewis who, you know, number one overall pick. So he has that going for him obviously, but had some class A experience last year, still could move up pretty quickly and, and we shouldn't judge him against Adele. But uh, the fact that the angels are pushing him this quick, it, is very interesting and again we'll get more into that later in the show um but you know six home runs a ops above 1000 in 25 games you know if you were to tell me adele was going to be moving up to the cal league at the end of may uh what did he need to do well he needed to show a little bit of power he needed to show a little bit of speed um he's done all that he's, he's shown a better hit tool than i thought he had to begin the year hitting 326 at burlington before the call-up um, so this is really astonishing to me. Uh, there was only one high school pick last year making his for one. Uh, I need to get the qualifiers down on this because there are a few of them. The only first round high school pick from the 2016 draft who moved up to Class A advanced in 2017, and that was Forrest Whitley, who we know ended the year in Double A last year, and and you know before his drug related suspension who's considered one of the best pitching prospects in all of baseball, still is. Uh, Drug-related suspension doesn't seem related to PEDs anyway, so he should be fine when he comes back. But, you know, he was one of the breakout stars of last year. If Adele can even come close to following Whitley's track as a hitter, um, he's going to be a really, really special talent by the end of the year. And, um, you know, it's exciting to see him get pushed. You mentioned Adamas. Nick Gordon also got promoted yesterday. Uh, those two guys... Not nearly as uh, surprising, I would say. Nick Gordon played all of last year at Double A Chattanooga. Was really surprised to see him back in Chattanooga this year. Um, had started to show a lot more power this year. He was actually third in the Southern League with a 5.25 slugging percentage. Uh, his 9.06 OPS would have absolutely wrecked his career high for that, which is in the 700s. Um, so he certainly earned it. He's been at Double A long enough. Uh, I thought he could have even moved up quicker than that, but after 164 games of double-A action, he moves up. Adamas, he moves up to Tampa Bay. Um, maybe by the time you hear this, if you hear it over the weekend, he might be back in triple-A Durham. He's just up because Joey Wendell hits the paternity leave list. Um, he's expected to only be away three days. Uh, Adamas already on the 40-man easy call-up. Slot him into the shortstop position. He's already hitting home runs off Chris Sale. Uh, but again, he... You know, has 170 games of AAA experience. So not as exciting in terms of like, ooh, this is, you know, surprising things can be exciting. Um, but to see Adamus, again, show everything we've seen out of him at, at the Meyer League level, show it on the big stage against a Cy Young contender is really, really cool. 
And, you know, I hope he does enough to leave a good impression and make the Rays really think about what is kind of a crowded infield with them with Wendell and Danny Hetcheveria, who's on the DL right now, but could be coming back. And uh, I know Daniel Robertson's having a good year, but Willie Adamas, they really think is their shortstop of the future. So they're getting a, a little quick taste of that this week. And strike three this week, we continue along kind of a, in the same vein as this conversation, and we're going to talk about the Angels organization. That system has started to really turn out some interesting talent, and um, you know, obviously at the major league level this year, I think the Angels have turned things around faster than people expected just looking at the last few seasons, but the addition of Shohei Otani will do that for you. But looking on the minor league side for the Angels right now, Joe Adele gets promoted. A uh, friend of the podcast, Michael Hermosillo, has made the jump to the major leagues. There are guys on the move in that system right now what do you make of that the angels and all their moves where they are in that race how the the minor league talent continues to impact the major league club right now that's in that al west race um and just what's going on in that system at the moment yeah i mean i think they are you know they started to pick up more lottery tickets essentially you know we've talked about this system in the past of it being like basically after mike trout graduated and maybe even cole calhoun there was really not much talent here to speak of um, you know, Sean Newcomb was their best prospect for a couple of years. Andrew Heaney, the same thing. Um, you know, and well, Newcomb especially. You know, they traded him to the Braves for Angelson Simmons, and and that's worked out pretty good. You know, Simmons is one of the best shortstops in the game now. Newcomb is slotting himself pretty well into the Atlanta rotation, but there really hasn't been this kind of exciting group of prospects until this year. You know, Otani was technically a prospect, but he's graduated now, and that's fine, and we won't count him in this list. But Adele's having a really strong season, as we already mentioned. Brandon Marsh, who I was excited to see get kind of a full season after he's had some injury issues and last year played at, you know, rookie level Orem. Uh, he's become a top 100 prospect, and they moved him up to Inland Empire after only 34 games uh, when he hit 295 with an 859 OPS, three homers, and four steals. Uh, you know, I could keep going down the list. Griffin Canning was their first round pick last year. He's already at Double A Mobile after getting just a few starts in, at Inland Empire. Uh, Matt Face, Hermosillo, who you mentioned, Jose Suarez might be the breakout prospect of the season in that system. Yeah. Um, you know, he leads the minor leagues right now in strikeouts with 69. In 38 and two-thirds innings, something like that? That's exactly correct. Ridiculous. It's absolutely nuts. Um, and, you know, there's kind of rumors right now that he's made uh, seven starts at AA Mobile. He started the year at Class A Advanced Inland Empire. His next start could be at AAA Salt Lake. We'll have to keep an eye out on that. But he struck out 11 in each of his last two starts. So as this Angels system, you know, like I said, they're just getting a lot of lottery tickets, and a lot of them are hitting right now. Um, you know, when you get an interesting group of talent, I think they're just kind of getting lucky in that all these guys are doing well, extremely well, and they're willing to test them, which is really interesting um, in aggressive ways that, you know, the Angels just haven't been able to do before. Um, but it is, you know, again, we'll, we'll see how this works out the rest of the year. The fact that they are being this aggressive with these guys and not just saying, like, hey, listen, we know you're good. We're going to let you be good as long as we can, and then we'll reassess later. No, they, they want to see what can happen. They want to keep sharpening these guys and, and challenging them and maybe see them fail a little bit so they can make those adjustments quicker. Um, you know, If they're not failing, then they can't change, and that's how you learn bad habits and all that. So, uh, yeah, really interesting group with the Angels right now. And really fascinating that they're willing to test these guys. Uh, you know, will it fail? Will will it 
work out? Will they adjust on the fly? Will they even need to adjust? Uh, you know, like Suarez hasn't needed to adjust at all at Double A Mobile. He's still striking guys out left and right. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is how the, this Angel system is going to get even better, and we can talk about it getting close to if it's not already there as a top ten system in baseball. Which, if you would have told us two years ago that we were going to say on this podcast that Angel system could be a top ten system in baseball and had us project how long down the road will it be before you say that i don't think we would have said two years i think no. we would have said maybe give them five years and yeah. uh make some major changes but that system is really they have rebounded extremely quickly and to be having success at the major league level and then all of a sudden have all of these pieces at the minor league level they have turned themselves in from a barren organization minor league wise to a really really fruitful organization minor league wise and that's exciting to see um so that is three strikes for this week's edition of the show before the show this is one of the episodes everybody loves and that it's all Sam on the interview and you don't have to listen to me <laughs> Sam what uh, give us a, a little preview yeah so uh this week I talked to number 10 prospect in the Boston Red Sox system uh CJ Chatham um wanted to talk to him because you know we do these interviews on Wednesday on Tuesday night he hit his first career grand slam um which I thought was notable I wrote about it in the prospect roundup but wanted to get a little bit more out of him uh, so I thought the podcast would be kind of perfect for that. As a guy who was a second-round pick back in t- 2016, ended up signing for $1.1 million uh, out of Florida Atlantic. Not exactly a huge program, but a Conference USA program, whatever. Uh, he's the highest ever pick out of Florida Atlantic. Um, so a little expectations on those shoulders. And again, when you're signing for seven figures, that'll do it too. Um, but he's had injury problems year in and year out through you know his first three minor league seasons. He had a broken hamate bone uh, in 2016, shortly after the draft. You'll hear about him talk about this on the podcast. Uh, he had hamstring in- injuries all last year, uh, could never really get going. Now he's up at Class A Advanced Salem, uh, started the year at Class A Greenville, they moved him up after 19 games. He's been with Salem for the last 10 games, hitting 313 on the year, uh, two homers, a triple, nine doubles, an 805 OPS between both spots. Is doing everything. You know, he's showing health. Um, we'll, you'll hear him talk about this as well. Uh, you know, he's a six foot four shortstop, which is kind of crazy. Uh, normally, guys don't stick there, but he's going to try to do that. He's just getting into sh- playing shortstop again after some other injury issues at the beginning of the year, um, but. You know, this is a Red Sox system right now that Jay Groom is out for the year uh, with Tommy John surgery. Michael Chavis is still serving his own suspension. Uh, Tanner Hawk has really struggled as their first round pick. Uh, they need some optimism in their Red Sox system. So Chatham showing some health and showing some production is certainly bringing that out of the number 10 spot. So this is my conversation with him. Well, joining us this week on the Minor League Baseball Podcast is uh, Red Sox prospect C.J. Chatham uh, joining us from his time right now with Class A Advanced Salem. Uh, C.J., thanks for joining us. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Good, good. Thanks again so much. Um, so let's get into the, the very positive news right now. Last night, uh, you're playing a game in Frederick. You hit your first, I think it's your first career Grand Slam. Um, how does that kind of feel to get into it that way and, and kind of check that box off your list? Uh, good. Yeah, it feels, feels great to, uh, you know, get to experience that, you know, especially in, uh, in, in advance. So, you know, to get that off the list has been pretty, 
pretty special. Yeah, and over your last four games, you, you have two home runs, your first two of the season. Uh, you started the year at Class A Greenville, get the move up to Class A Advanced Salem. It seems like you're starting to get a little bit locked in. Like I said, two homers your last four games, uh, seven hits over that span as well. Uh, how do you feel like things are kind of clicking right now, and how are you able to get into the swing of things you know, through mid-May? Uh, not very nicely, honestly. Um, you know, earlier in the season, you know, with Loa, I, uh, I was using the offensive field a lot, and and you know, I, I was trying, I was working so much on that that kind of my left side of the field, I wasn't getting the uh, the ball flight I wanted, and uh, you know, working with the coaches and you know, hitting coaches, both at Loa and I, uh, has really been they've been great with me. You know, helped me get back to the left side, and, and now I'm using the whole field which is, you know, what I wanted to be, so it feels great. Yeah, and when did it feel like things were finally clicking in in terms of, like you said, trying to use your pull power a little bit more? Um, you know, was it after Sa- after that promotion to Salem? Was it a little before that? When did it kind of click in for you? Uh, it was right, pretty much right when I, uh, like about a week into when I got to Salem, I, uh, you know, started getting some some good ball flights on that field and uh you know they're falling and mid center left right and i've been pretty much recently using it all which is which is uh pretty pretty good for me yeah very cool um so going back to to where you are now kind of compared to how you feel where where you are physically where you are mentally to where you were a year ago for those that don't know last year was supposed to be your first full season in the sock system you were taking the second round 2016 uh experienced some hamstring issues i think around may is when you got your one game in with greenville before the hamstring issues came back uh where are you now compared to last year in terms of physicality mentally the whole thing uh, you know, just just a complete turnaround. Uh, I think mentally, I've always, I've been there the whole time. You know, you can't, I wasn't really listening to you know what, you know what people have to say because obviously it's not good. You know, when you're when you're out a whole year, but um, but definitely now I feel like uh, everything's working physically 100, uh, percent moving better. Uh, hamstrings, you know, finally cleared up, and uh, and yeah, so so definitely just a complete turnaround. I feel good in every aspect. Yeah, and when you say the hamstring is cleared up, um, you know what kind of work went into that? What was the official diagnosis that allowed these issues to keep popping up last year so consistently? Uh, initially, it was um, a pull. You know, they thought it was a pull, and you know, maybe it was. So we just rehabbed it and did whatever we had to do, and it just it just never really got to a hundred percent. And um, and then you know, it just kept just every time you know I'd rehab, you know, over over a long period of time and, and when I would feel like when it would be time to you know give it a go it um I, I guess it, you know it just wasn't 100% and uh you know I guess that coming you know that blames on me you know, I guess I don't know what happened but I uh yeah then eventually at the end of the season with like a month left I uh I was in a rehab game and playing it on my left foot on a, on a ground ball coming in and it just kind of shocked my my left the whole left hamstring again and I, I said hey I got it you know, I got to get this looked at, and then got the MRI. It was there was a partial tear, so you know it said it was new, and uh, they uh, they just shut me down for the rest of the year. Yeah, and how did that kind of change your second off season? I mean, you you've gone through one before, trying to prepare for a first full season, something you'd never done before, and then you know there's obviously nothing really full about it. Um, you know, what did you do differently this off season to to kind of stay out there? You know, as long as you have so far, no no injuries so far, at least knock on wood. Um, but what was different about this last off season? Uh, you know, you know, with uh, 
agility, you know, strength and agility and stuff like that. It's like, you know, I took to do the program that they give. And then, you know, on the side of that, I, would, I worked on a lot of uh, agilities and stuff, and mainly agilities and stuff like that, you know, quick starts, moving side to side. And, you know, honestly, like, you know, some running some routes, football, you know, making it fun, just stuff like that. You know, obviously no, you know, contact or anything like that, or, but just kind of running, doing stuff like that and, you know, mainly side to, yeah, side to side, working on those movements. And that definitely, you know, I think strengthened my hamstring and, and got me to where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just started your first game at shortstop for at least Salem. I know you got a couple in games in with Greenville. Um, what's kind of been the decision-making process in that, and what kind of discussions have you had in terms of getting back out there as a fielder and, and getting back your, your feet back under you as a shortstop? Uh, it's been it's been good. You know, they, they're the you know the training staff is very have been very good with me. You know, they've been you know we we communicated well and uh, they you know, you know they want to they want to slowly get me back into it after you know all that went all that I went through last year and stuff. But you know now uh, getting back in short, uh, yeah, obviously there's some things you know I got to clean up just because I've been out there so long. But uh, it's definitely you know a good feeling to be able to get back out there and and you know show what I can do. Mm-hmm. And was in your conversations with the Sox or, you know, trainers, whatever, um, was all this just precautionary in terms of keeping you at DH to start the year and kind of easing you into it? Or is there something else involved there? Uh, there was a little bit of, um, when, during the, during like the third day of spring training, I thrown, I threw a double cut in and it kind of was sore and that soreness, it kind of was like a, there was a little bit of an impingement in my, in my shoulder and it, it and I was trying to I was trying to give it a go through spring training and through the first like four or five games of the season. And after the the, the one where I started DHing is when I was like, you know, I got to you know take some three weeks off or whatever and just get it. And now I feel back to 100. percent Yeah, it was like a, I mean, it was a little bit of a shoulder impingement, which and I never had shoulder problems really ever. So that was just one thing. I was it was like a mini scare, but you know, got the MRI and they just said it was an impingement. Now now it's 100. percent Cool. Well, glad to hear it. And, um, you know, we, you went back to before when we were talking about, like, mentally going through these injuries, you know, when you add shoulder to that list. Um, you know, does it help having gone through this before? I mean, you don't wish that on anybody, obviously, but how do you kind of emotionally handle injuries and keeping trying to stay up on it so when you do come back like you do this did this year, um, you can kind of hit the ground running? Uh, I would say just stay, you know, stay the course don't listen don't listen to you know what people what people have to say like you know me have people say like does he want to play it's like it's like that's not even a question and, and, and you know in your mind and I knew well, I was like yeah I'm gonna play I'm gonna do whatever I can because you're in college I missed I think one game so I, you know I'm always gonna be out there if I can and uh and I would just say you know you, you know who you are like you know what you can do just don't don't change and you know work on it definitely while that stuff happening work on something like me for me it was in this past off season just mentally meant the mental side of hitting like i'm not a big you know i know if i'm under a ball or i'm and i can change make a change on my swing every single pitch you know so that my thing was this off season i'm gonna really you know watch game you know i get a lot, a lot of time to watch games and stuff and really see what pitchers try and do and definitely mentally just locking in and knowing you know what you're going to do every single pitch and having a plan and it's going to change like but for me it's like when i do change it every pitch i'm going to lock in and i'm not going to throughout that whole pitch you know there's no second guessing on but never mind you know so it's just like staying 
true to what you think at that moment and what you're going to do. And for me, that's been huge. And yeah, and when you say you were watching video during the off season, was it your own stuff from rehab games? I mean, what, where were you getting that video from? Uh, it was mainly, uh, mainly like I would watch my home runs, like videos of my home runs, and see like where I'm where I'm making contact. And I was really out in front, and they they would go far, but like it was I wasn't making like I was I was striking out, swinging flyers, and it's like I would always think, like, how are the big leaders? Where are they making contact? And I would watch video and see like Chris Bryant, I was like, they're hitting the ball deep. We let them get deep, they're on their back knee more. And now I'm like. All right, well, I'm going to stay on my back knee, and that's really allowed me to actually see pitches better, see it deeper, and it makes a huge difference when you're when you're moving forward as opposed to staying back and letting it travel and still having the ability to you know, drive the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and going on to the other side of the ball, now going back to your work at shortstop, um, you know, one of the discussions about you is you're six foot four, you're listed at 185. It's pretty big for a shortstop, um, but everybody thinks you can kind of stick there. Uh, I know you've played a little bit all over the place, um, even going back to high school, left field, third base, whatever. Um, but what do you feel like you need to do to kind of stick there? And how much do you want to stick at the shortstop position going forward in your career? Uh, yeah, I want to say I want to stay there as long as possible. But I think what I need to work on is just consistent on, on the routine plays. Like the, you know, the, the plays there, the crazy ones. Those those kind of take care of themselves. Um, but you know, just the routine plays are just you know stick in keeping your glove quiet and you know foxy does a great job you know he helping us with that you know every day so that's that he's a big fundamentals guy and that's definitely what i just want to keep hammering to where like the routine plays are made every time mm-hmm. yeah and going back uh like i said i know you played in multiple positions before and part of that i read was you played left field once because the shortstop on the team was luis guillorme who everybody knows is, is now with the mets um what was it like watching him and what kind of pointers were you able to pick up from him uh, i know he has some of the best hands when he was in the minors uh i loved watching him play shortstop but when you were on the same team i think it was summer ball uh what were you able to pick up from him at least defensively uh well with him it's, it's uh we play a complete uh, different type of short, but you know, ever since he, we were in, ever since the first time I saw him play short, I just, you just knew uh, that he, whatever he had, it was special. And like he just basically, you know, I, I, it wasn't, it had no relevance to my game, but I just, I, so it was, it was hard to really pick up stuff that he did. But just watching him, you just knew like, wow, you know, he's gonna be special. Like he has incredible hands and does does stuff, you know, that other guys can't. And uh, I just, you know, I I couldn't really. <laughs> take it into my game just because I'm you know I'm just different <laughs> but yeah no it, 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 so just you know honestly didn't really take a lot out of his game but you know getting to watch him was definitely fun and seeing what he's doing now is awesome right yeah that, that, I'm sure that's easier said than done of just being like yeah just have his hands and you'll be fine um, but when you, say, <laughs> exactly. when you guys have different styles of short stuff how would you describe your style specifically um you know he I guess you would say he, you know, he's more of a quick you know quick hands you know get it out um uh in and out you know faster and i'm I'm more like you know secure it and then you know make a strong throw and uh that's you know i kind of with my arm that's how i make out make make up for you know i mean i still believe i have quick hands but like just 
you know, those, the hands that he has, it's just like that's how I make up for it is just having strong, accurate throws, how I think. Right. Yeah, and I know going – or coming out of high school in Florida, um, some teams were thinking about taking you as a pitcher. Obviously, you went to Florida Atlantic as a position player that worked out pretty well for you going in the second round a couple of years back. Um, but what was your time like at Florida Atlantic? I know you were the highest uh, player ever picked in the draft coming out of that school. Uh, at what point do your, during your college career did it feel like you were putting together something special and, and would eventually kind of take up that mantle? Um, I would definitely, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was, it was unbelievable. Three, three years there. Uh, the coaches were great. You know, I thank coach Mac for everything. Honestly, he's extremely well, good to me. Um, you know, player coach, which I love and just, you know, you definitely with, even without baseball, like he kind of everything, he did multiple things for me that, that really helped me, uh, mature as a person and as a player. What do you feel like is the biggest contribution that you still maybe use today then that you were able to take up from your three years there? Uh, I think, you know, just maturity. You know, I was very mature going there. But uh, he, he kind of, like, told me, you know, hey, this is what it takes to be a pro. Like, he would just kind of tell me, like, the things that I need to know. Um, how and, and as a coach, like, helping me on the field, you know, if you make an error, it's like he'd come up to me and be like, hey, you know, uh, what happened there? You know, you don't usually do that. You know, like I, you know, looked like I took a bad hop. You know, just keep my my confidence will always be at a hundred percent with him because it was never like give me a dirty look. You know what I mean? Like, you know, as a he's just a player coach with especially with me, and would kind of be like treat me as as a friend, which I really really needed. Like I I love when a coach is very like understanding and hey like you know. I know you're better. Like, that doesn't usually happen. Like, it's probably won't happen again. Like, that kind of stuff. Oh, cool. Very cool. All right. So yeah. we'll, we'll end on this one, CJ. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but um, given the way everything's kind of coming into place now, like we said, first Grand Slam yesterday, you're now playing shortstop again. Um, you know, you're at high A, which is probably where a lot of people expected you to be at some point this year. When you kind of look forward to how you hope the next three, four months go uh, of your, you know, hopefully a full season, what would a successful 2018 look like for you? Oh, you know, I don't really set any goals. There's no, you know, where I'll, where I'll, where they'll put me, you know, stuff that's out of my hands. I, I can't control it, but I definitely to be successful. I just want to, um, you know, stick, stick to the approach that I have, do everything in each and every day, you know, with a purpose and, uh, don't give away a bat and stay healthy. That's my main, that's just my main goals. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. And, you know, I'm just going to do whatever I can to help whatever team I end up with. All right, so kind of using that same rubric then, how do you feel like the, these first, you know, seven weeks of the season have gone? Um, you know, are you, when you were laying out exactly what you would, would have thought, um, you know, according to what you just said, do you feel like these seven weeks have been successful or are there some things you still would would have changed? Uh, I would say it's successful, but um, there's, still, there's still things that, you know, I still give away at bats and stuff like that against, you know, pitchers. You know, you try and get big against the pitcher you don't think is as good, and then you, you all of a sudden you find yourself over two, over three, when those are guys you got to really, you know, get your hits against. I think I've, I've kind of need to, you know, focus up on that more. But, you know, I'd say successful, you know, you know out there, healthy. Yeah, that's all I need. Right, so. right. All right, well, CJ Chatham, the number 10 prospect in the uh, Red Sox system, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, good luck the rest of the way down there with Salem and wherever else 2018 takes you. Uh, thank you so much for having me.
Well, we now live in a post-royal wedding world, and we bring in Benjamin Hill to, uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that coming up in a little bit. Ben, uh, did you watch it? I didn't. I didn't watch I didn't a, a single moment of it. Um, I'm, you know, a proud American, so I only deal with American <laughs> news and events and endeavors. But it was half American. American wedding. That's true. That is yeah. True. It's fair. Oh, well, if if I, nothing I else, watch the, the pastor speak uh, was amazing. The, the sermon I thought was excellent. Oh, and was, so Sam watched. Well, I, I watched that, actually. I, was, yeah. I had something going on Saturday morning. but I, I uh, feel like if it was on TV at a normal hour, I might have flipped it on. But like, yeah. I'm not going to wake up. At, I don't wake up in the morning to like do anything. So I'm not going to. Eh, come on. Come on. Who schedules a I caught the highlights. at 6 a.m.? Just kidding. That was a at Fopolini joke on Twitter. Um, let's dive into it. Benjamin Hill is here to discuss the business of baseball and all other things in the minor leagues. And uh, Ben was on the road at Trenton um, as his latest road venture. And uh, the Trenton Thunder, Arm and Hammer Ballpark, the home spot of the Trenton Thunder, which you've been to before, but not for a little while. Tell us about the, the sojourn through Trenton. Yeah, this is, um, you know, one of the few ballparks that, you know, based here in New York City, I can get to on public transportation. And I've been as a fan a couple times in the last couple of years, you know, just uh, fan mode, I call it as a civilian. Uh, but I have not been uh, there since 2012 uh, in Ben's biz mode. So it was long overdue. And, um, you know, I picked this date for a reason that I visited uh, Friday, May 18th, because it was the first time that the the Trenton Thunders suited up as the pork roll. And they will do so now every Friday home game for the remainder of the season. But this is the pork roll debut. So I kind of wanted to see what that was like, um, you know, what it was like uh, to have a pork roll extravaganza. You know, the first uh, thousand fans or so got uh, pork roll aprons. There is a pork roll only concession stand at the ballpark, um, you know, with different uh, products, uh, all with pork roll as a primary ingredient. I interviewed the CEO of Case, you know, a prominent pork roll manufacturer up in his uh, luxury box, because of course, the CEO of a pork roll company is, is always living large. And, uh, and then beyond the pork roll elements, it was just a it was just a, a, an action packed night at the ballpark, uh, made more action packed by the fact that the game was like two hours and five minutes. And it's kind of funny how I operate professionally, how much is given over to the whims of just how long a game takes and what I can can do or not do. So I did not have time to run as an eyeball in the eyeball race because it just was too busy of an evening. But. Uh, some great pork roll items of the designated eater uh, in the bottom of the first inning. I got to hang out with um, rookie the bat dog as he actually performed his duties um, and uh, got some good footage there uh, and so on and so forth. So another uh, another great night at the ballpark. Um, and it was this is the last uh, trip of of what I'm considering a trip you know, over the last three weekends. I went to different ballparks and Trenton wrapped up this northeast portion of my 2018 itinerary. And with it being the first night of them being the pork roll. Do you feel like there was a buzz there? I mean, com- kind of compare it to what you went to the first time or what you have, you know, times you've been to Trenton before, like you said, just as a fan. Did, was there real a real buzz created by this? I mean, I think there was. I mean, the wet, it did not rain, um, but the forecast, um, you know, especially the day before was really bad. It cleared up somewhat. They got the game in, but it was played in about, you know, 60 or high 50 degree weather windy kind of cloudy so i'm sure that took a little chunk out of it out a chunk out of you know how energetic it was but it was still you know i've been to the thunder you know either professionally or as a fan you know many times i actually went to thunder games uh, in their very early seasons uh, because my dad lives in that area um and this was one of the most uh 
yeah, just energetic evenings I'd ever seen there. And the pork roll concession stand, you know, is was just slammed where it was just all through the concourse. I mean, people, it's not just, it is a stereotype, but it's true. I mean, people in New Jersey really, really love pork roll. And, uh, you know, also with, uh, you know, Rookie and how popular he is and Nick, Nick Swisher and Hideki Matsui were at the ballpark, I guess, in their role is roving Yankee greats. <laughs> um, and uh, so there was just a lot going on and, and a really good energy. And I think especially as the weather gets warmer, school's out and they keep doing this and uh, get some momentum with it. I think these are really going to be action packed nights at the ballpark. So if you live in this area or you're traveling, planning your own minor league ballpark uh, trip, you know, and if you're thinking about the Thunder, I would highly recommend uh, not going to see the Thunder, but going to see the pork roll every Friday. There's been the conversation, I think, on a national level with the food-related things. I saw a tweet um, when Buffalo announced that they would become the Wings, as was one of the identities that was kind of a no-brainer out of the gate when the food-related stuff started happening. Somebody tweeted like, oh, if you thought the minor league food craze was over, you're in luck. There's another one, kind of a sarcastic thing. But I think at the local level, people don't really view it that way. I think people view it as like, oh, this is cool. This is something that's unique to our team, to our region, and our area. Did you get that sense in Trenton that people are like, man, this is awesome. They're doing something like like this yeah absolutely and even talking to the ceo of the um of the pork roll company he, you know it, it just never occurs to people that this could actually happen and i think not just with the uh, food identities but pretty much any minor league baseball promotional trend for individuals such as ourselves and and i'm sure many of our listeners you know we're in the minority that we keep track of this nationally and know when something's a trend and maybe know when something's been overdone uh nationally but i'd say the vast majority of fans don't know and don't necessarily care what other teams are doing. So if their team is doing it for the first time, that's all that matters. So I think it's important for us uh, to, and you know, sometimes people on social media and whatnot to keep that perspective, to realize that you're making this decision first and foremost for your local fan base. Yes, it's great if you have a product um, you know, with, with, uh, with merch that gets people's attention and you get orders from all over. But at the end of the day, the, a food identity or any other promotion is going to be a success because it's a success in the local market. And, you know, to that regard, it doesn't matter, you know, how much it's been done or hasn't been done. It just matters that it's successful and that the fans, you know, appreciate it. And I definitely think they appreciate it in Trenton um, because, again, pork roll is huge. And uh, you got a story coming up from one of your other trips uh, uh, or, one, yeah, one of your other trips on this kind of, what do you call it, like leak? weeks long yeah uh, just it's like a segmented road trip you know it's like one trip but spread out over three weekends right so you as part of that you went to lehigh valley lehigh valley is putting on this big push right now to get a certain type of player not that minor league teams usually sign players but they still want one guy and that one guy is lebron james how are they going about trying to woo uh the guy who's currently playing in the eastern conference finals is and allegedly it's not checking social media anyway. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is blown up huge for the Iron Pigs. A um, couple weeks ago, they put up a billboard right near their ballpark, you know, Coca-Cola Park, um, saying, you know, here's our pitch, LeBron to the Iron Pigs. And, uh, you know, it maybe got a little play locally, um, but then when they put a picture of that billboard on Twitter, it blew up. And uh, I think the team probably already had some plans, you know, beyond just the billboard. But certainly once they got that social media response, they're going all in. So they have the hashtag LV once LeBron campaign. Uh, they're recruiting fans to send, you know, to post their own video pitches using that hashtag. They've now scheduled a night June 28th, just before um, NBA free agency officially begins. You know, a we want LeBron night where they're giving away LeBron masks and uh 
LeBron headbands, and uh, they're going all in on this. So when I visited Lehigh Valley, I talked to uh, their general manager, president, uh, Kurt Landis, you know, who's no stranger to, to crazy promotions. You know, the Iron Pigs have done a lot of uh, attention-getting things through the years. And, uh, you know, I mentioned this in the, in, in the article, but, you know, when you talk to Kurt Landis about this, there's no real sense in talking to him that he knows how ridiculous this is. I'm sure he does know that it's ridiculous, but I think one of the reasons these things are successful is him and the entire front office are just buying into this and really going all out as if they have a chance to land LeBron. And of course, a key aspect of their pitch is that, you know, LeBron is forever compared to Michael Jordan, who's the true greatest of all time. And Le- and the Iron Pigs are saying, well, LeBron, you haven't taken a year off to play minor league baseball, a mediocre minor league baseball season, I think they note. And uh, until you put up at least one mediocre campaign in the minor leagues, then then Jordan's always going to have that edge over you. So they're, they're really appealing to uh, uh, LeBron's sense of competitiveness and his sense uh, and his uh, desire to reach <laughs> Michael Jordan at all levels. And uh, so this is not the last you've heard from this. This will be going on through the rest of May, all of June. Uh, you know, check Twitter, follow the Iron Pigs, and uh, I think they're going to have a lot more fun with this. Michael Jordan, by the way, um, all of the discussion is always about how bad he was during uh, his time in minor league baseball. But Michael Jordan, when he played in the Arizona Fall League, if you go look up his numbers, actually was really not that bad, which is something that I always like to point out to people because it's become this gag of, nah, man, Michael Jordan, remember when he tried to play baseball? Ha, ha, ha. His numbers are pretty good in the AFL. He batted two fifty two uh, in Arizona Fall League play, which is against, as we all know, some of the best players in minor league baseball. And a guy who hadn't played baseball since high school just jumped in as a professional in the middle of his outstanding career as the greatest basketball player to ever put on shoes and then was really good in the AFL. I'm defending his baseball legacy. No, and I think the AFL is a great point that that a lot of people overlook. I, I overlook most of the time. And, you know, he hit 202 with the AA Birmingham Barons. You know, 202, three home runs. Um, not great numbers, but I think also people forget, you know, AA is really high-level, high-quality baseball. Yeah. And uh, I think to go there and hit above the Mendoza line is amazing um, in, in that regard. And if he had stuck with it, I, I think not that he would have been a major league star, but I think he actually could have gotten to the major leagues. And that was a strike year, unfortunately. I'm, I don't know where the White Sox were in 1994, but who's to say maybe they couldn't have called him up in September just for the uh, publicity that that would have resulted in. But of, alas, uh, there was no September in Major League Baseball that year. We will never know. Um, one other story from the world of minor league baseball this week, which is a, a tough one but the uh, Greensboro Grasshoppers had to bid farewell to Miss Babe Ruth who was their bat dog for uh, a long time and one of the kind of early trendsetters among the bat dog ranks in minor league baseball and uh, according to Greensboro she delivered more than 3,500 baseballs to umpires and retrieved approximately 4,600 baseball bats from Greensboro hitters. Um, she was a black lab who made her debut on August 2nd 2006. She retired before the end of the 2015 season got to hang around as an ambassador um, at Grasshopper's Games, and Ben actually met her um, during one of those ambassador days back in 2016. And this was, uh, she is an adorable dog. She was 12 years old, passed away from cancer. One of the, the things that came out of this was seeing how many players reacted to this on social media I thought was really cool. I mean, we saw like Brent Honeywell tweeted out um, a, a remembrance of her and how great of a, a dog that she was to come across in a minor league career. I thought that was really neat last week. It's a heartbreaking story, but it was really neat to see the way the baseball community reacted to this 
Yeah, because I mean, the fans love seeing bat dogs, but I think for the front office and the players, you know, it's uh, almost like a coworker, someone you see every day, um, and uh, I think that really adds a lot to your daily experience to have a, a wonderful dog, you know, as part of your uh, as part of your your daily workplace environment. Um, so it really does hit a lot of people very hard. I mean, the fans, of course, will miss seeing her on the field, but for people who are around her every day, um, that's tough. And, um, you know, the, the, the grasshoppers lost another one of their bat dogs, um, you know, over the off season, master Yogi Berra, uh, who was miss Babe Ruth's brother. Um, so now miss Lulu Gehrig, a niece of Babe and Yogi is the one currently serving as a bat dog. So the Greensboro still, uh, grasshoppers still have that tradition going on. Uh, but Tyler, you're right. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what team started it. I mean, but uh, the Trenton Thunder were one of the very first with you know Chase and Derby and now Rookie, and then the Greensboro Grasshoppers with Miss Babe Ruth and Master Yogi Berra. And for a long time, it was just those two teams doing it. And now we see a trend with it. But you really got to give a lot of credit to uh, Trenton and, and Greensboro for uh, leading the charge and, and that and bringing dogs to the ballpark. All the baseballs you can chase and the bats you can carry wherever you are now, Miss Babe Ruth. And uh, we extend our condolences to the Greensboro Grasshoppers as well. Um, and we will we'll end on a fun note this week. Last week um, during the show, we discussed the, the Royal Wedding coming up. And uh, we put out a challenge to minor league broadcasters to do an inning on the day of the Royal Wedding, which was this past Saturday, in a British accent. And if you did, send it our way. We would put it on the podcast. And if we are not men of our word, we have nothing. And so with that, we did actually get some of these. Um, we actually only got one submission. We only got one file. We know there were other teams that did it. So Palm Beach, for example, some of these other teams that got in touch and said that they did it. I think Omaha was another one that was planning on doing it. If you guys hear this and can send us your file from the broadcast, we'll put a clip of it on the show, uh, podcast at MILB.com. But we did get one from Scranton Wilkesbury. Adam Marco, a previous guest of the show before the show podcast, makes a return appearance with what I got to say is a pretty solid british accent like you you guys got a chance to listen to this inning in full it's not bad sam put it very well he's not trying too hard which i appreciate right i think british people can be more reserved than like some of the cockney accents we give them <laughs> or in ben's case just saying they say cheerio all the time that's the only word i could think of <laughs> ben then got publicly owned by the british podcast that he once went on to talk about baseball which is you know they didn't teach you any more lingo no, they should have. So I'm, I'm putting it back on them. Typical American. Yeah, <laughs> uh, didn't teach me British, guys. So without further ado, Adam Marco, the Scranton-Wilkesbury Rail Riders on Royal Wedding Day. Here's a clip of the broadcast from Scranton-Wilkesbury. Back to the ballpark and more Rail Riders baseball. On 1400 The Game and EPA's Fox Sports Radio. We go to the fifth. It's 9-1 Buffalo with the lead over Scranton-Wilkesbury. The event that took the world by storm this morning, the Royal Wedding. And fresh off the plane back from London, England, here's Adam Marco. Oh, thank you very much, sir. Very happy to be here and ready to do this fifth inning in an English accent for Benjamin Hill and Sir Tyler Mon from Minor League Baseball. First pitch is a swing and a foul back in your direction, sir. It's just a little foul. Ryan McBroom, Zach Zayna, and LJ Mazzilli to bat here in the inning. It's I'm going to do my best to keep up the English accent, as annoying as it might be, I, I apologize, but the celebration of the royal wedding has, as mentioned, taken the world by storm. There's a swing and a miss. It's bollocks by Ryan McBroom. Count now 0-2. The challenge was laid out earlier this week for 
broadcasters across the industry to try to do an inning in an English accent. The O2 toss is a little bit down and in. One and two, the count on McBroom. He's 0 for 1 with the strikeout. Now, there's a fairly sizable opportunity for my accent to drop into many other dialects. Very well, could be Australian, could be Irish. We'll see where it goes. Could really use a three up, three down inning in the bottom half if the uh, fellas will help me out. Swing at a foul. And the count to now 0 2. I'm not sure, quite honestly, if anyone else has accepted this challenge, but I'm game. It's a 9-1 ball game, and when I thought perhaps this might be a little bit absurd, probably missed a let in there. Here's the 1-2 toss, McBroom with the fly ball out towards right field. This has got some carry to it. It is drifting foul. Stellar if the highlight reel had included a home run off the English accent. Count now one and two. You're still here. You're trying not to laugh, and I appreciate that, sir. Sort of letting it ride, just seeing where where the inning takes itself. I am already caught off guard that this is going to happen in the bottom of the fifth as well. I thought this was, I, I give you a lot of credit. I thought this was just going to be a half well, inning. They said an entire inning. Who am I to go against Mr. Benjamin Hill? Here's a cold strike three. McBroom down watching, one away in the inning, and trust me, I do take my job very seriously, and I get a little bit of relief by watching the Twitter and seeing the broadcasters from the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim doing their pregame show dressed in full Star Wars Stormtrooper regalia. Uh, yeah, they. I mean, they, they kept, and that was last night, I think, they kept a straight face the whole time. Well, they were wearing helmets, masks. Oh. First pitch runs inside, and a one ball, no strike count on Zachary Zayner. 226 average, four homers, 16 runs, batted in. He's 0 for 1 so far today. It's a 9 1 ball game. We've got a look around the International League for you this afternoon. It's a foul ball back, and just a shade below our booth. One ball, one strike, the count. I have done a little bit of research, not only in my own time trying to play around with an English accent but to add a few phrases for the show today pitch missed inside now count taking two and one on Zena. are we going to get them organically or are you well, going to I'm just try not, to shoehorn them in uh, well we'll see we'll see where it goes the pitch runs in a black for a cold strike and the count now 0-2 your international league update there is just one other game being played at the moment that is Lehigh Valley taking on Syracuse that's a 4 nothing pigs lead Here's the 2-2. Zena lofts it out towards left field. This may drop in, and Allfoot's going to let it bounce. He was taking an indirect track to the ball, and it fell just in front of him. It's a single for Zena, and that'll bring LJ Mazzilli to, to the plate. And to that, I think we can all say cheerio, obviously. No, what, what else? That's, that's not just a catch-all phrase. It you is. can't just say all the time. Cheerio in it Britain is. is like aloha in Hawaii. It's like Prego oh, yes, in yeah. Italy. They just use it for everything, Sam. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, okay. It must be something with those island places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anything that exists on an island, they have one multi-purpose word that they throw around for everything. We all know this is true. This is common knowledge, right, British people? Get, let, it, let us know if we're maybe not accurate with that. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And uh, Ben, was uh, what's the next? Next road trip is not too far off. 
No, mid-June, uh, hitting the Midwest, starting with Lake County and ending in Lansing for the Midwest League All-Star Games. So uh, I'll certainly be talking about that uh, as it comes up in the, in the near future. And in the meantime, there's still a lot more to come from the Northeast. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Tyler. Final segment of this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Uh, we're wrapping things up on episode number 161. There was a very important note that we did not get to last segment, though, and I believe we still have a, a guest on the show. Yes, this is uh, Ben Hill still here. Ben's Biz also still here. I mean, that's Ben just hangs me. around, just stands silently staring at Sam through most of the show. But we decided to bring him back in. The whole first yeah. segment, Ben was just standing there staring yeah, well, I'm a big fan of Sam's work, and I just like to see him in action. Um, but I did want to note for those keeping score at home, and I, I did not—I neglected to say this uh, during my official segment. But Sam is sitting to my left today. Okay, good to know. So, just in case anybody has that official score sheet going on, I feel like that snaps a stream. Nah, maybe I'm wrong. I feel like <laughs> I felt like we were on a couple of a couple weeks in a row of of seats on the right. There were times when I was consciously thinking about it. Today was not one of those days. So if it snapped a streak, it, it did so. Although the way the country is going, there will probably be bets in New Jersey soon on exactly where I'm going to be sitting in relation to Ben. Soon we're going to launch an app. It'll be a beat the streak, but it's just which side of Ben Sam is sitting on. That'll be, that'll be it. Get ready, Internet. MILB.TV, the place to catch all of the best in minor league baseball. Sam, what are you watching on MILB TV this weekend? Yeah, so this weekend, uh, Inland Empire will be playing uh, Rancho Cucamonga. Again, pretty check the schedule. Whenever it works for you and and there's a game available, make sure to watch this team. I do think Adele is very exciting to watch, uh, specifically how that power is going to play in the Cal League. Uh, Could be really, really cool. Same thing with Brandon Marsh. Just two really tooled up outfielders. Uh, even when you know they're not hitting, you you still want to make sure you're watching just in case they do something crazy in the outfield. Um, and, and you know I love players like that when you really don't want to step away because they could do something flashy at any moment. So uh, yeah, now that they're on MILB TV with Inland Empire, you're, you're definitely not going to want to miss that this weekend. I'm going to go to the International League and the AAA Rochester Red Wings, who have welcomed in Nick Gordon, uh, promoted in the Minnesota Twins organization. They've got a doubleheader coming up on Friday at home against Buffalo, so you might get a chance to watch a lot of Nick Gordon on that day. But they start at 5.05 Eastern for game one of that doubleheader, um, and then they'll play a second game, which is a makeup from an April game that was postponed, as was you know everything and everybody um, on the East Coast and into the Midwest through the month of April. So actually, we do have a lot of doubleheaders across the minor leagues this uh stretch here in may when teams that met each other early on this season had so many of those weather games um, are meeting each other again so that's been kind of fun over the last week and a half to two weeks and extending into june all of these extra double headers that we weren't expecting and um, if you're somebody who wants to sit around and watch full days of baseball you got a lot of options and you can catch nick gordon and the rochester red wings on milb.tv and that will do it for episode number 161 of the show before the show podcast he's sam doctor i'm tyler mon we'll talk to you next week yeah.